This is a Stand Up Labs production, powered by digital media. I'm driving along with two Jewish people on my fender. There's a law in New York State. I sang once for Barbara Streisand, this is a true story, and her eyes crossed the other way. It was Shabbat. Well, the first thing I do is make them toast my salad. From the writer of Nyeh and the director of Nyeh comes Nyeh. You can have an eight-way suck fest up in your room, but you can't walk barefoot to the casino. I want a lemon Twitter, I want a raspberry puff, I want a honey curl, and a, a, a no, two chocolate, no, one, one, put it back, put it back. I can loosen up. Don't have to be so black all the time. I hate when my foot falls asleep during the day because that means it's going to be up all night. My neck is actually six inches long, completely flaccid. It don't matter about how much you sniff, put it away, sniff the interest. We're going to have to buy more stuff! In the late 70s, I went to college at Emerson College, and that's where I started my comedy career. And one of my first friends was a comedian. Well, he wasn't a comedian then, just a friend, Stephen Wright. And uh, he, we were in a comedy group, and he decided to start doing stand-up. We would go see him do stand-up, and that influenced me to become a stand-up comedian. I love him like a brother. He's, uh, I'm proud to have him as a friend. When we get together, we laugh so hard that we've almost gotten kicked out of restaurants before. We talked beforehand that we didn't want to have that kind of a conversation on uh, as recorded. We wanted to talk about comedy in a way that maybe would help some young comics who had questions about comedy. And I'm so proud to have him in today, my friend. I wear my glasses. There's a timer right up there. Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> All right. I, I can't read without my glasses. Uh, can't can't read without my glasses. Sounds like a. <laughs> How long have you been wearing glasses? Uh, about an hour. Um, actually, I went to, to a, I went to a uh, hockey game with my stepbrother. And I go, hey, cool glasses. Yeah, I just got them. I said, let me try them on, like an idiot. And I put them on. I go, oh, my God, I could see better. I didn't realize I, they're all of a sudden the red line was clear. How long, how old were you when that happened? I think I was, you know, after college. So maybe really? 22, 23. So some people go to eye doctors, but you, other people go to hockey games? Yeah, I, they, I went to the Red Wings game. Huh. You know, because I knew that their team was, you know, <laughs> a sight for sore eyes, so to speak. <laughs> Here we go with words. But anyway, Carlin, to both of us. You know, yeah. here's an interesting thing. I thought that your hero, in my weird knowledge that's wrong, I thought the guy that you really liked was Jackie Vernon. You know Jackie Vernon? Yes, I know Jackie Vernon. I used to see him on Mike Douglas all the time and... And I loved him, but he had no uh, influence on me, even though he talked in a deadpan and everything. And uh, I remember one of his jokes. Uh, I, uh, I'm going to now imitate, use my imitation of Jackie Vernon. Uh, uh, when my father died, we buried him because he would have wanted it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember that joke? I do. No, that had no... Uh, I loved him, but that didn't... 
I can see how you would conclude yeah, that. Yeah, because but. he was so great. And you know what I had heard from David Letterman was that Hal Gurney was the director for David Letterman at one point, and, at the beginning, kind of. Also, I think Barry Sands and a whole bunch of other directors, but Hal Gurney was a longtime director. He was the director at Jack Parr as well. Oh, wow. And uh, they loved Jackie Vernon. And they put him on the show, and he was going to do his slide presentation, the famous. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Gurney came up with the suggestion to use a clicker, you know, fake Oh, clicker, really? And that took that bit to the next yeah, level. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. So I saw Gurney. Jackie Vernon in, like, 1981 or 82. Mm-hmm. No, in 79. Really? When 70, we were in school? Well, I got, I got you graduated in 78. 78, but I was out west. I was living in Colorado in Reno for mm-hmm. like four months. And in Reno, you know, where the casinos are, and he was playing there. And I, so I went to see him. How was, was the show? He was hilarious. He was hilarious. And I knew him because of Mike Douglas, you know? And mm-hmm. I, I, he was one of the first comedians I'd ever seen. He was brilliant. And he was kind of that deadpan... A voice. An interesting yeah. thing is my father looked exactly like him. And my mother and father went to the Stardust in Las Vegas, and they're playing at the tables, and these women came up. <laughs> Jackie, Jackie, we love you. And my father goes, look, I, I'm not Jackie. Did they Vernon. think he was just they, denying it? They thought he was denying it. The more he denied it, the more they said, you know, come on, Jackie, we love you. And he just signed it, Norman Brill, the autograph, because that's... That's know. hilarious. <laughs> I know. So, you know, so Jackie Vernon was a deadpan kind of comic, but if I remember correctly, you 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 came up with that style just, it was just, you didn't plan it from anybody else. Yeah, it wasn't, even come up with it uh, is not the really right mm-hmm. words, because I didn't come up with it, it just happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would just, my thing was, I'd write things that I thought were funny, and I would hope they did, and then I would just say them. There was no, like, how should I be, what, the, you know. So, I mean, this is how I talk. You can just hear this is how I talk. Plus, like anybody, I, I was afraid to be on stage, you know, public speaking. Did you know that's, like, one of the biggest fears people have? Yeah. Public speaking. So, so, so I mean, I talk like this anyway, and then it was even more, I was so afraid on stage and I was such a serious face because I was afraid. I'm trying to remember the next joke. I'm trying to say this joke. So even though what I was saying was insane, I wasn't laughing because I was trying to make sure I said it the correct way. And that just fell together by accident. Yeah, that's, that's pretty amazing. Now, you know, for me, when I started, I loved George Carlin. So I, my rhythms were very George Carlin. Oh. And as I got a little bit older and started recording myself... That's when I realized, oh, look, I'm acting like a comedian instead of just being myself. And I forgot who told it to me, but they said, just go up and talk because, you know, you're funny when you just have a conversation. And it really made a difference. You it mean was, when you were, doing, you were doing his rhythm, it was more like you weren't talking, you mean? Cause it the, was, but it, it, I was, you know, I don't, you don't, I didn't think about myself, like how do I talk or how am I going to plan talking I just knew I watched comedy and I loved George Carlin. So naturally I was going to have this, you know, I think I had the rhythms because I memorized that album and rec- that was... Oh, my- those were re- natural rhythms for her, for him, and you right. were accidentally doing those yeah, rhythms. Yeah, I found myself doing that when I recorded myself to listen back. 
And who pointed it out to you? I, I wish I remembered. It was a comic who had said, and another friend of mine from Emerson, um, and I can't remember who it was, but they said, uh, you know, to just because, um, well, you know, I've had a lot of times in my life, like I'm Bill Hicks told me, he said, look, you're so funny when we hang out, but when you go on stage, you're doing this love me, love me, you know, uh, and it was kind of intense for him to say that to me. And, and like it made, wanting the audience to love you? Yeah, wanted approval as opposed oh, to... that's interesting that he said that. Yeah, and uh, it, it was, at first it was shocking. It was like, ah, and then it really made sense. And then I was like, well, I'm not looking, you know, I'm not here to get approval. I'm here to do what I like, and hopefully people will enjoy it as well. And after he said that, did you consciously try to change... Uh, was it a um, while? Because I don't think you can change like a light switch, right? No. I was defensive at first because it was like, what? And then uh, the more I thought about it, I said, well, he's trying to help me. He wouldn't have said something if he didn't. And it really made a difference. And I just stopped thinking. I just went on stage and I hosted a lot of shows and just talked to the audience. And, and I wrote stuff and I just made conversations. And, and made, I felt like all of a sudden my uh, comedy went leaps and bounds from that. So and let, let's go back a little bit in the beginning. I met your mom. I know you have uh, three siblings. You have a sister who I met and uh, two brothers, right? Yes. And uh, was it funny in your house growing up? It was, no, it was normal, like funny, normal funny. It wasn't extra funny. Mm -hmm. It was regular, I think. I mean, you know, regular family type humor. Like there wasn't like your father, your mother were... no. Right. Not at all. It was just regular. Were there other relatives, maybe, that... No, we had a I don't humor? have any relatives. Yeah, <laughs> that's no, the no, theory no, of relativity. They, no, they're, 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 no, no. Right. It was mainly from outside, like, television and radio, where, where I got it in my head to do this. Mm -hmm. I mean, my brother, my younger brother is really funny. He's fast. I didn't realize how fast and funny he was till about three years ago. We were out. He lives in New Hampshire, and we were, there was a had a fire outside, and the neighborhood people were out there, and someone would say something, and he would go you know, something yeah. really fast, really fast. And I, and I was like, I mean, I, like I said, I knew he was funny, but I didn't know how fast he was. But there was no in-family influence. How about you? What about in your family? Yeah, my mother and father were very funny, and they oh, they were. They were very. They loved comedy. They would go comedy shows all the time, and oh. they, they were big fans. And you know, I'd get to watch the comedians on the Tonight Show. Great. Uh, I remember we were talking. You know, you and I know each other forty years now. Isn't that wow. crazy? We met in nineteen seventy-six, wow. and um, you had told me that your brother used to. You used to stay up with your brother and watch The Tonight Show because I would stay up with my parents and watch at least the comedians or uh, the opening monologue that Johnny did. So your your brother well, kind of... Well, he's four years older than me. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, everyone would be in bed probably on the week Friday, Saturday. And we had to watch. It was never discussed, but it was understood. We would watch what he watched because he was in charge. Because right. It was before remote controls. Uh -huh. So he would sit down on the floor with his hand up on the... A channel changer for right. watching. Uh, he loved Johnny. He loved. And there I am back on the couch watching. And that's how I started watching him because he, my brother, wanted to watch it. So then I started to like it. 
And he had his hand on the thing. Why I'm telling you that is when Johnny would go to a break, he would go to the other two channels, see what was happening, then go right back to make sure Johnny wasn't back. That's you know? great. And then, and then like, then go, then go back. So that's how it came into my head. It's amazing how little things can have giant effects on your life. I didn't even break it. I've thought of that before, but never like, what if he didn't like? Johnny Carson. Right. Like, what if you like, uh, you know, <laughs> drama, the, the NBC, well, it was NBC, CBS, whatever show that was. How to build canoes. Right. Yeah. I'd be in, in Sweden, like, <laughs> with, a, with a big canoe company, or maybe a little shop. That would be, yeah. But that would, you'd be successful at that. I could see you running a little canoe shop. In where? And in where? In Carlisle, in Massachusetts. Sweden. In Sweden. Oh, Sweden, Massachusetts. <laughs> no, Sweden. <laughs> oh, no. the country? Yes. Oh, okay. All right. Anyway. So, yes. all right. So, you're from Massachusetts. You're mm-hmm. from Burlington. You weren't born in, were you born in I was Burlington? born in Cambridge. Okay. In Mount Auburn Hospital. Right. In fact, I went there 15 years ago. I walked into Mount Auburn Hospital. This is true. And I said, I was born here. I, can I go to the room I was born in? I wanted to go to the exact... I, this is true. Yeah. And they said, well, go downstairs to where they keep all the records. So, I go down and they are you older than 30 years old? Oh, yes, I know. Oh, we destroy all the records. We don't know. Oh, okay. So then I left. Do you have the room that you destroyed all the records in? <laughs> yeah. I'd like to see that room. Are there are any marks, black marks on the ceiling? You know. So, so, but I went back a year later. I don't know why. I went mm. back to the hospital, and I went up and said it to the person at the main desk and they said oh well the, there's a woman in charge of the history of the hospital she's she happens to be here she's down that hall so i went and talked to her and she brought me to the building to the floor and she said it was one of those 55 19 december she said it was in one of those rooms right there we couldn't go in because it was an operating mm-hmm. room but so, you know, you know those traffic lights in your life where it's always red, like you never, it, you never go through, it's never green. You right. always have to wait. It's an so, interesting way so, to put it, yeah. So it's on, there's one of those when you come off Starro Drive going to Fresh Pond area that's always red. And you can see the hospital. It's like a half a football field. And I can see, so I'm all, when I'm in the Boston area, when I go to Boston and leave Boston to go out to where I live, for years now, 15 yeah. years, I'll look up and I'll go. Like, there was one of those rooms. I was, I wanted to go in the room. I don't know what I was going to I jokingly tell people I was going to call my mother and, from the room. And, where are you? Do you remember where we met? <laughs> <laughs> but it was just bizarre that you actually, there's a room. You know, yeah, where it course. starts, it's like there's the a room. room almost. It's like you go back to where you were born, your mother, and now you go back to the room where you were born, and it means something. Where, where hospital are you in born? Maimonides in? in Brooklyn. And uh, the interesting thing about that is Alan King was doing this uh, comedy uh, tour where we called Laugh Well, and we'd go to different hospitals. So he, they hired myself and Wanda Sykes and Greg Giraldo, and we're going to do this hospital, and uh, I find out the day of, it's the hospital I was born in. So when I got there, I was like, oh my God, this is, I don't, I've never been here since I was born. And I walked around, and I wanted to see it, and it felt 
interesting. And I thought, if I bombed, I said, well, this is the hospital I was born in, this hospital I died in. <laughs> um, but it was interesting, like you said, to go back to that hospital. And I never knew how to pronounce it correctly. I thought it was Maimonides. It's Maimonides, that's the name. Maimonides. But for years, I was like, you know, I, I just, I don't even remember how I mispronounced it all that time. So I guess it was good. So it, all right, so the, the reason why I asked about families, because usually there's an influence there. Oh, my grandmother was funny, my grandfather was funny, but that never happened for you. Now you went to school and were you ever the funny guy or were you a mellow guy or? I was the, I was funny with my two buddies. Gotcha. Like I would make them laugh. I didn't want, I didn't make the whole class. I didn't want 30 people looking at me, you know, I didn't want that. So I, but I was funny with, with them. I remember as far, the earliest I can remember is like junior high being funny with people. I remember sitting with them in the cafeteria at like study hall. And I remember saying, mm -hmm. imagine a flock of false teeth. <laughs> this was like in eighth grade. And I, I just, like, just because of the concept, the words of that, you know, as we know, we love words. There's so many things that can happen with words that could never happen in real life. Yeah. So, I mean, but so the couple, couple buddies all Were they funny through. as well? Were they? Yeah, they were funny too. What because about you? Were, you? were you class? No, at the, I was very shy growing up in a yeah, sense. I didn't talk for a couple, almost two years uh, growing up, a year and a half or so. What do you mean? Um, I was very quiet. I didn't, now I don't shut you, up. You didn't talk till you were like four? You I, I, about one and a half, something like that. Here's a weird story. My mom and I have been spending a lot of time together. She's been ill the last year, and she's a tough cookie, and she's fighting it, and she, they keep knocking her down. She keeps getting up. So, you know, I've been working on sort of a book of stories from my life, and I've been asking her a million questions. My mom's hilarious. Oh. And and uh, she still is. And sometimes she doesn't know it, which is, makes it even funnier. So she had told me, she said, you know, you were my first child. I was f the first of five. And she said, you know, I didn't know how to raise you. I didn't know what to do. So I, um, I, you know, I would dress you the same at the same time. I would feed you at the same time. I only fed you healthy food. At the because, same time as what? Uh, <laughs> at the same time as Johnny Carson was on. <laughs> she would, oh, the, the same God, time of day, like oh, every day oh, at 11, oh, I'd oh, have, I, you know, tea and crumpets, you know, and it, we were living in Leeds. No, I was in Brooklyn. And, uh, Leeds? Where's Leeds? In England. Oh, sorry. sorry. Don't, get, don't get mad. I'm not mad. Look at me. <laughs> Does this look mad? You know. Um, so she would feed me the same time every day, and I never ate anything processed or anything. And one day, my mom was hanging out with her best friend, and they're in her, the, my, her friend Marilyn's apartment, and she forgot to feed me. So I went up to Marilyn, and they, they had taken me to the doctors and said, you know, is there something wrong? And they go, no, some kids take a while to talk. So I went up to Marilyn, and I don't know any of this, but I said, Marilyn, can I have a bologna sandwich? And Marilyn goes, sure. And she goes, ah, ah, ah. They, that was my first words, were Marilyn, can I have a bologna sandwich? <laughs> Which is well, well, weird. Well, wait a minute, was your mother there? My mom was why there. Wasn't you, why weren't you asking your mother? Because I guess she never gave me bologna because she fed me really healthy. Oh, you were at Marilyn's house. I was in Marilyn. We were upstairs, and we were oh. living in the projects oh. in Brooklyn. 
And we lived up, Marilyn lived upstairs. And, uh, you know, that was my first words. And they didn't think about it. Oh, yeah, sure. And mom says, I never gave you bologna. I don't even know how you knew the name or whatever. <clears throat> so it took me a while to, to, <laughs> to chat it up. And like I said, no, I don't shut up. Marilyn, can I have a bologna sandwich? <laughs> my first words, not even like mama or dada, you know. <laughs> Did was, she give you one? Yeah, uh, no. <laughs> she didn't? No, they threw me out the window, and I had to fend for myself. But I learned how to bounce. Uh, you know, it's great. I have to say something, and I have to say it on podcast. You and I, when we get together, we really laugh a lot. Yeah. And we, you know, and it's almost ridiculous. We've yes. almost gotten thrown out of places because we yes. laugh so much. And yes. you and I are trying to have, we decided before this, and I have to say this, I hope you don't mind, to try to have, you know, regular conversation without being as silly as we normally are. But you can't, there's certain things you can't help, mm-hmm. you know? And, you know, I don't want us to be so serious. But I do, I'm interested in, you know, the reason why I do this podcast is to find out a lot of how people started, how they first did that. So you, you weren't really you know, that funny. You're in junior high school. Uh, no, wait a minute. I was funny with my one or two guys. One or two friends. Yeah. But I'm saying, I, I guess I was glossing over the fact. I was saying no one in your family, there no. wasn't any of that no, stuff. No, so no. you no. became funny with your friends. You had a freedom with these folks that, that, you know, that worked for you. So now you're, and same in high school. the same kids in high school that you had... Uh, we're yes, funny I, with. I, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. you know, same two or maybe you know a couple of other. Right, add, you were add, building an add, audience. Added on, that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. but I high school the school had a long corridor went down, and then there was a T, another one that perpendicular uh, it met. So you had to go down. Sometimes when in between classes, you had to go down this corridor and either make a left or a right to go to your other class and. The uh, football players would stand with their back against that part Mm -hmm. of the. So you had to go down by this intersection, like. And I remember being near. I only I didn't weigh a hundred till I was in eleventh grade. I was one of the shortest kids in the school, and I remember going being nervous to go past that area. And I remember so I I started saying little things to them like. To really, because to, to break my nervousness, I would say s- s- silly things to them. Were they bullies in a they, sense? They, no, they weren't bullies, but they were just so big, and they were the tough, fam- you know, the famous guy. You know, in school, some of the guys are the famous, mm-hmm. foot famous in the school. Yeah. So I remember going by there and saying a few things. It's interesting how you can compensate. Sometimes humor helps you as a get through something, you know. I know. I, I same for me. I was, you know, short kid. Uh, when I took me a while to to grow, and I was short and chubby. I loved sports, but I wasn't. I was picked, you know, toward the end when you broke up teams, and you know, so I would make people laugh, and that would sort of. I was more inclusive to these guys that were sort of the stars of junior high school and yes, high school. Yes, the same thing, yes. Yeah. So now, you didn't go to Emerson right away. You went to community college. Yes. It, and it was close to Burlington, right? Yes, it was in Bedford. Middlesex right. Community College, right beside. <laughs> you so, know, Middlesex why, why makes you me laugh. laugh. Why you laugh? Because think of the word Middlesex. We're yeah. word people. Yeah. Like, oh, what I kind never, of sex? I what? never even thought of that. Yeah. What would you that know, be? There's neutral? no outer sex. There's no... 
That would be sex. neutral, right? Wouldn't that be no sex yeah. at all? No, Wouldn't it's that, uh, you know I, I, I have sex, but it's middle sex. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, you now you're like raiding the sex. Yeah, I, I used to live in outer sex, uh, <laughs> community college, I, uh, and uh, but I went. You went to middle sex, and you didn't go there to. I went study communication. No, I, I didn't. I I didn't know. I went there for lib, liberal arts. I figured I would get my two years of liberal arts and then transfer to a four-year school because it was much cheaper to go to a middle sex community, middle you know community college. Right. So I'd go there two years. That's what. Yeah, I and did. you can live at home. Yes, I, that's, I lived at home, and then I took a whole year off where I didn't go to school. Mm, what did you do during then that I went, time? Then I went to Emerson. Actually, what did I do? I had several weird jobs, but one of the jobs I had was I was a substitute teacher. Wow! Wow! Because the 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 the, the woman who lived beside me growing up, she worked in the school system. She was like one of the secretaries at the school, and she told me that in Massachusetts at the time you only needed a two year degree in anything, mm -hmm. and you could be a substitute teacher. Wow! So there I am. I'm like 19, and uh, you, 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 so I would. I did that several times. Did you like I, teaching? No, I didn't teach. I, I didn't. I, I just gave them the assignment that the teacher left, right. and you know, try to get them to not ruin the room or something. But <laughs> I looked so young. I mean, that, I was in the halls, and the teachers thought I was a student, wondering, wondering why I wasn't in the class. Anyway, I did that for. for can you imagine me as a substitute? Uh, I, I can uh, imagine anything, really. <laughs> Did you say you can imagine anything? anything. <laughs> you know, I, You're I, imagining that. I'm not really seeing that. That, no, that mural. I, I imagine so. <laughs> <laughs> so I had just different but it, things. But it's, it's not something I would think that you, that wouldn't be one of my guesses. I had no... It was and you just, had other jobs, you said? You yeah, and I, don't crazy remember, jobs. I don't remember what they were. Yeah. And then... Then I went to How'd Emerson. you pick Emerson. Because of uh, uh, radio. See, I wanted to be a, by then, you know, I wanted to be a stand-up from watching The Tonight Show, 16 years old, mm -hmm. from my, with my brother. Then I started watching it, even if he wasn't there, and I was addicted to it. I loved Johnny. Mm -hmm. the all the comedians he had on, Richard Pryor, David Brennan, Robert Klein, all those mm -hmm. guys. And I thought, wow, look at these people come out here and they talk for five minutes. I made all this stuff up based on life. This is incredible. And then they talked to Johnny. I was, he was, Johnny was my hero. I loved yeah. it. So I got it in my head that I, my fan, that's what I would like to do. But I, was, I wasn't smart enough to know that that was probably not going to happen. I got It's you. a fantasy. So right. I thought, well, what can I can't go to school to be a comedian. So I thought, well, maybe if I'm funny on the radio, if I was a funny radio guy, maybe somehow I would get from the radio to the Stage. I don't know how. There's these big gaps in my goals. It was like radio to stand-up. So the next, I knew you could go to school for mass communication, focusing on radio. And I got accepted to UMass in Amherst. Mm -hmm. I had applied to Emerson and there. And then I had my room and everything, and then I didn't hear from Emerson. And then at the last minute, I heard from Emerson, mm -hmm. and I went to Emerson because they had a better radio program so that's why i went to emerson yeah because I, I i same kind of thing for me i wanted to be on the radio i wanted oh, really to, i didn't my, know that my uncle taught umass amherst like you said my uncle was a sociology professor and uh he said uh i recommend this college in boston 
called Emerson because, you know, you can go as a freshman and be on the radio right away. Uh. Um, so I signed up for broadcast journalism to learn news. Uh, I wanted to be a sports guy. I wanted to be a DJ. But I wanted, you know, I thought I can use sort of the comedy on the radio, just like you. It's funny how our lives yeah, are similar in a weird. lot of ways that we didn't know about. And uh, so, yeah, so Emerson offered that. You can go right away and, and be on the radio. Did you get to do radio shows at all? Yes, I had a two. I had a, uh, the first year I didn't. Went to 76 around 77, and then in 77 in the fall, I had a morning one on it, the WERS. I had right. the morning slot, whatever Which it was. Which was a huge radio station. Boston was the fifth largest market in the United States at that time. It was. So when, yeah, I, did, I found that out later. And then, you know, we, I had a morning show with Chris Phillips. You know, we would do a wow. show. And I had a show with Eddie Gordetsky. Uh, on ERS. On ERS. Wow. And, you know, you don't realize that there were huge audiences for ERS. But when I you're doing you don't think of the audiences. You're in the studio. and I didn't even know there was a big audience. Big. And it's, uh, you know, it was kind of a cool station run by some pretty smart and savvy, cool people. We had some good teachers as well who, you know. There, there was the other station, the smaller one. ECB, the AMC. ECB. I auditioned for that, too. Right. I don't know if I told you this. I, no. wa I wanted to be on as much doing whatever, so I auditioned for the Bluegrass ah. uh, show. Right. I knew nothing about Bluegrass. <laughs> then I, actually, why Bluegrass? I wasn't even a big fan. I just wanted another section of time on the radio. Mm. So I, you know, when you make the tape, they record the tape, the audition tape. Yeah. So on I a reel to reel. So I went to that thing, and I didn't know anything. So I previously to going, I made up all the bands, and I made up all the songs that the bands were playing. Uh -huh. So I said, "Oh, that was," and now we're gonna have, and I got the show. And I think what happened is since. <laughs> No one ever heard of what the hell I was talking. They must have thought I was so into it. And that, so knowledgeable. That, yes, look, this guy. He's mentioning all these bands that I've right, never, never heard, heard about. of these they, things. So they just didn't get this. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. I always thought they didn't know them because they thought I knew so much. Maybe they knew I made it up and they said, just give it to him so we don't have to talk to him anymore. Did you but ever, anyway, there was did you another. Do different uh, voices for different shows. Like no. morning, you were mellower, and no, I never okay. did anything. I did. <laughs> you did. When I was on the AM radio. Okay, the Eagles Hotel California. Really? Yeah, because I thought that's what you had to do, because you know I grew up in Brooklyn, and it was you know the WMCA good guys and, and all the guys Harry Harrison, and they all talk like that. So I had a, I picked a name, Steady Eddie, Rock Six Forty, WECB, which was Emerson College Broadcasting ECB. And then ERS, I guess, was Emerson Radio. Was the AM the, just in the dorms? Yeah, and like three people heard it. <laughs> Me, myself, and I. <laughs> no one heard it. You know, it's funny. There was a guy named Stu Fink, and he was a I very I remember good, him. He was a really nice guy, and he had a radio show that was very popular that we would, Chris, Chris Phillips again, and, and Adam Roth and I, we would listen to it all the time. And no one else would be listening. And he would, okay, the 10th caller gets two tickets to this show, and we would be the only ones calling. We'd win everything. <laughs> <laughs> the show that we'd get tickets. I'll tell you a story. I don't know if you remember this. Chris Phillips and I were, did a radio show and at ERS, the FM station, and we had a morning show. 
And when we talk like this in the morning, because we thought that's the way you're supposed yes. to talk. And, and we got to interview the lead singer of Styx. Oh. And we go to this party or sort of thing before they're in town. And uh, you were there. I was? Yeah, it was at some like steakhouse or steak and lobster house. And we were so nervous. A but seeing for, you there. A party for sticks? It was, yeah. It was, uh, it wasn't, it was, maybe you were working there. <laughs> I don't know. But you were there. And Chris and I talked about this. And we actually were so nervous, but you made us comfortable. Like, oh, our friend. And. I don't remember that at yeah, all. Yeah, that was crazy. He was a, a, a dick, the guy who was the lead singer of uh, of the band. And he he was so rude to us. And we had a cassette tape recorder. And we said, so, you know, uh. You know, we uh, there's a band that's opening for you called Stars, S T A R Z. We're opening, and we said they're very similar to you guys. It's interesting that you would have them open. He goes, they stole from us. <laughs> yes, that's what we said. <laughs> and the other members of the band said, we're sorry. He's kind of a dick. So <laughs> the weird part about it is that the batteries were practically dead. So when we put it in a regular cassette player, it was like this. It was talking to the <laughs> oh, That's <laughs> hilarious. So that's never, funny. Did you play that on the we, air? We couldn't. It was, oh, a, it was so the chipmunks, as you know, the interviewer. <laughs> if, if, I, if it was good, I would have probably saved it. But we saw you there. You know, we had met you through John Tenike. We were we had a comedy group at Emerson, the Emerson Comedy Workshop, and we met you through John Tenike, who was in our group. And uh, you did a film for us uh, that John wrote. I think your hearts, our hearts are young and gay, or it was something like that. And you had a small part in it. Well, no, we made up the you know Woody Allen's movie What's Up Tiger yes. Lily, where he took the soundtrack out I just and put saw his own it thing a month ago. You did? Yeah, I love well, it. We were doing our version of that with. Uh, we did two ones. One was called The Man with the Golden Lenses. Mm. I don't know <laughs> if that was the real name of it or the name we made up. And right. the one with Ten Eyck, I, I had worked on that too, where we put the fake soundtrack, and I mean the fake dialogue. Fake dialogue. Into and this it was other hilarious. Movie. Oh, yeah. That's John how... Ten Eyck is brilliant. Yeah, he's, he's one of the funniest guys and of unique, all time. And, you know, just that he was, you know, just a genius. And. Yes, that. He, he's amazing. I'm still in touch with him, and we still die laughing on the phone. Oh. I didn't know that movie was... I didn't remember that movie was for the comedy workshop. Yeah, because John that's was in the That's how we met through yeah. that? We met through through him originally. And uh, and also, you and Chris and I, th I think Adam had painted in the summer together. Oh, the, the dorms. The dormitories, yeah. yes. So that's where, we, you know, it was all around that same time. Because I remember, I, I did a lot of stuff with Tenike. He, he would write these brilliantly funny things, and he'd get me and Chris to come in and do voices on them. And I think he did the same with you. Is that correct? No. I mean, no. I didn't do any voices, but right. I wrote that those movie those things with him. Yeah. He's, he's amazing. I know. We, we, you know we, that's one thing that we're very blessed is we, we you know, even in stand-up, when we started doing stand-up, you know, people like... Kenny Rogerson, and brilliant, you know, brilliant, yeah, you know, just prolific, and and you know we we had amazing and good people. I mean, Mike McDonald, who went to Emerson with us, was funny and got me in with Barry Crimmins, who was brilliant and still brilliant and more brilliant than ever. We were really lucky to be in a nurtured 
community. Yeah, all those people were so nice and so funny. I thought of Kenny Rogers when you were talking about that you didn't talk for many years because mm-hmm. I think he had a he had a comedy thing in one of his parts of his stand-up about it. he didn't talk till he was four and mm-hmm. then they and then he said because nobody ever asked him anything <laughs> <That's> <laughs> right. and mike mcdonald is still hilarious yeah he, he's amazing he helped me a lot because when i went to my first open mic he was there in the audience he was already doing stand-up and i went to the open mic and it only just went all right you know three minutes it just went all right and i was depressed about it and mm-hmm. i was like and he he's did that half glass, half glass, half full thing. He said, "Look, you never did it. You never did the material. You never did it in your life. Some of it worked. Take the stuff out that didn't work and come back." That one little conversation, you know. And then I was psyched. It was like, "Oh yeah, they did laugh at some of it." So hmm. many, so many. The thing about the comedy scene then, and Emerson then. I don't know how. Maybe it's the same now, but like to go to Emerson was almost like an accidental screening process where you you were an odd person if you even wanted to go there. Mm-hmm. Like you, so, they, you were automatically like in my life, the joking around, the creativity in high school was one thing, but at Emerson it went up many notches because everyone was it was like everyone had a high version of imagination and everything so you were it was just heightened everything was heightened and then after emerson and then that comedy world in the beginning all those people i mean all uh, like you were saying like kenny rogerson and steve gavin don gavin steve sweeney lenny clark uh, lenny clark mike mcdonald mike donovan brilliant genius one of the funniest comics on the planet and just brilliant a brilliant mind it's amazing. So we were lucky, and Crimmins ran Crimmins, the Ding yeah. Ho. Ding Ho. Got, gave me my Crimmins. first paid spot. I think I made oh, $3, did? I think, or something. And we we all went out and had breakfast together. Think but, of all those people. You're right. I, I, that, so to be around that helps you even without even knowing it, really. Cause yeah, you brought you're, your you, game to the next level. Yeah, You're just doing your thing, but you're not doing it. Even though you're on stage alone, that community is is uh, very nurturing to be around. I mean, seeing so many people do such great stuff all the time. So even though besides yourself on stage, you're seeing this guy do this, this, that, that. And all of those people that we just mentioned, none of them are like each other. Right. It wasn't like an assembly line. It was like mm-hmm. each guy... There's not one guy that we just mentioned that's like the other guy. Right. And also Paula Poundstone, who yeah. didn't go to Emerson, but I met her through Lauren Dombrowski, who went to Emerson, uh, at the time was one of the m- most inventive comics ever. And to m- still to this day, I think she's one of the best comics I've ever seen. I agree with you. I agree. I saw her like two years ago at the Wilbur Theater, mm-hmm. and about a th- half or a third of what she did was off from talking to the audience. Yeah. It was like, and it was amazing. Like the interact, it was the fun. It was as funny as her material. What she was making up right then. What a mind. Okay, and then how about you know our friends, our mutual friends like Billy Jarko. Now he's not a stand-up, but he's a filmmaker and an animator. Animator. Yeah. And then you had Mike Armstrong, who was also in my class, who you know 
we all, you know, we were all good friends back then. And now you make a movie with your buddy and you win an Academy Award by, you know, oh, by the way, something it, you were going to have done anyway, you know. He, well, he was the head of the paint crew, Mike. Ah. The painting crew of the Emerson. We would paint the classes in the summer. He was the head of that. So we would be in the, he had it, so me and him were in the same room painting. And painting is you so, arranged that because he, he did because oh, he was in charge. He was because oh, we smart. were already friends, but it was like right. it was like you uh, got to pick your buddy for the paint. Yeah, and uh, Gary uh, Smith, Gary, Gary, uh, can't remember his last I, name. I, the was, black curly hair, Gary. Yes, yeah, yes. I know who he, that is. He was in the in the in the room too. But painting was so boring, which was very helpful because you just you know you got a radio on on the floor that's covered <laughs> in paint. You know you always yeah. bring a radio. <laughs> Yeah. And you're just talking. You're talking for eight hours, right. making stuff up, because painting is so boring. So then when I went to HBO to try to make a short film, I was going to do it with Mike. And, well, Mike, now they want to do it, so now what are we going to do? What are, now what are we going to do? They want to do it. Well, we've been joking about psychiatrists for so many years. Mm -hmm. But so that's how that That was the that, sketch in the painting happened. rooms? Well, it was one of the things that we would talk about over the years that Emerson was joking about psychiatrists. And then there's Hutch, Tom Hutchinson, oh, yeah. all these writers. Yeah. All those people, like, it's like hanging out at a, joking around at a heightened level. Yeah. It's like you're on this weird island where when you eat the plants, everyone, <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, because you know. each one of us in our junior high school or high school, you know, had, we were one of three people that you'd hang out with, like you said, We'd hang out with our friends, but you went to Emerson. It was all of those people yes. all together. You're just having fun anyway. You're going to hang out anyway. And then you're, you, they help you bring your game to the next level. Exactly. And then so you came up with this uh, idea for a short film. And you've always, I, I, from the conversation, I realized, well, you worked with uh, Ten Icon Films. You worked, uh, you know, you, when you were in college and... You know, you did another film, like in the late 90s, I think, another short film. Yes, One Soldier. Right. About a guy right after the Civil War. Right, questioning existence. Questioning everything. It's right. funny and philosophical. Yeah, I, I love that film. Yeah, thank you so much. But uh, The Appointments of oh. Dennis Jennings was the film that you and Mike created. Who else worked on that with you? Dean Pariseau was the uh, director. Mm -hmm. Remained great friends. And uh, I was introduced to him by the producer David Pickman, and he, uh, yeah, that was that. Was, Dean made a weird movie called Tom Goes to the Bar. It was a seven-minute <laughs> movie about a guy who was upside down in the bar. You don't even <laughs> see his feet attached to the ceiling the whole time. He's talking to everyone, but he's upside down, <laughs> and it's just been was insane. So then the. That's how the producer connected us. He saw that movie and he mm -hmm. thought that he maybe that guy would be good for us to work with. Yeah. <laughs> That's really fantastic. He, he was really so now you graduated in '78. So now you started doing stand up. I know in '79. Yes. Because I remember seeing you at the Ding Ho, and I remember one thing. And you know, again, it's you know thirty something plus years ago. I remember at the beginning when you were doing stand-up and you were, you know, it's like you just shot out of a cannon for me. Like, you're, man, you're fantastic. And I remember you were shy and you wouldn't look at the audience. You would play with the grout in the yeah, bricks. Against the wall. Against yeah. the wall. And you would kill, but you weren't facing them. 
Yeah, I mean, Lenny Clark brought that up to me a few months ago. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, I don't know why I was doing that. I guess it was a psychological to get away from the audience. Like, mm -hmm. just to, rather than standing right in front of them out of nervousness, I was just way against the wall. Like, so now they see me from the side. It was like just getting away. But I, but it worked though. I didn't, I didn't do it like, oh, this will work. It was like, it just evolved. You know how so many things on stage just slowly happen. They yeah. slowly, and then they think, and then you think, the net, well, I did that. Well, I want to do that again. Everything's right. like, well, if that worked, I'll do that again. So for some reason, I kept their attention, even though I was back there and not facing Which is them. powerful. And, and, and talking so softly. Like, I just ha kept their attention anyway, so then I kept doing it. I mean, I wish it must have looked insane. I wish I could see that now. It was a lesson for me How's because I realized that, that by using your voice in a way to get attention from, like, I would, in, in the, I remember I was in Vancouver for a show and I followed a guy who was hilarious, but really over the top energy, almost like a, me a heavy metal comedian in a sense. Mm -hmm. So I remember going on stage after him, and instead of trying to be different than who I am, I really was quiet and slowed it down, and I got them to be where I wanted them to be, and then you know picked it up a little bit, and I learned that from watching you know people like yourself and Schimmel, who would look down, never looked at he had, oh yeah he never yeah, looked at looked the down audience. on his feet. Yeah. I learned from the in the clubs about when the audience was rowdy. I learned uh, somehow that if I talked, I mean, I was talking soft anyway, like mm -hmm. this, like talking like this, and then I, and I learned if uh, if I even put pulled the mic away even more from my mouth, where you couldn't even really hear what I, you could tell I was talking, but you couldn't hear what I was saying, that that would bring the audience down, the the rowdiness would go down because they're trying to hear what I'm saying rather mm. than fighting it, rather than talking over it, you know, above them. Yeah. So you sacrifice that half a sentence or sentence, the joke doesn't work because they don't know what you're saying, but the room would calm down. And I noticed that and would use that occasionally. And when, when the audience, when you started becoming, at the beginning, really famous, you would come out and go, thanks. And it was kind of a nice, quiet... Yeah, I did that even in the clubs, even before I went on TV. I mean, and I still, I still do that. It was just, that just happened. You know, you rather than saying that was my version of saying thank you that was my thank you right that was me that was my version of i wasn't saying oh this will be funny that was me trying to that was me saying thank you right Th thanks and then it, they would laugh and it's like all right if they're gonna laugh i'll just keep doing that even it was it's so important to get that first laugh early i learned that from mitzi shore she taught oh you know, really she said get a laugh in the first 10 seconds if you can because the audience doesn't know who you are until they know who you are. They don't know who you are, and they mm. want you to be funny. So if you can get them to laugh right away, they'll, they'll sit back in their seats go, okay, this person. Yeah, and then they can relax more because they don't have to wonder. You get their, some of their wondering out of the way. Yeah, because they want you to be funny. They don't want you. They're nervous for you. Yeah, they are very nervous. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Yes. So uh, the, the famous story, of course, is, you know, the... Peter LaSalle coming to Boston, looking to colleges with his son, and uh, he comes to the Ding Ho because he read about it, and uh, 
you blew him away with doing what you do. It wasn't like, you know, and then he called and you thought it was a prank. Is that correct? Yeah, the talent coordinator called a couple weeks later. Jim McCauley called. Right. And, uh, uh, McCauley called. I, I didn't think it was a... I, I didn't know who he was because I didn't. I only knew of Peter's name, so I didn't even know who he was. Mm -hmm. Oh, Jim McCauley from the Tonight Show. Oh, 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 yeah. And they wanted me to go on, and I didn't understand because I didn't talk to Peter that night or anything. I also the night he was in the Ding Ho, and I didn't even. I I was confused that they would. You mean they want me to go on, even though from that one five minutes, just from that five minutes. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, just from that five minutes. But we want Freddie DeCordova to see you. So do you have a tape you can send us so we can, a videotape so we mm -hmm. can show him? And the only tape... I have scotch tape. <laughs> <laughs> the only tape I had was from Stitches, you know, Stitches. Right. And I had no shoot. I had flip-flops on. And, and so I sent that tape, but they... Uh, and a burka. And, <laughs> and then, and then they, they liked it and they had me go on. It was incredible. Right, and now, now here's... Your brother, all that time was, you know, you're watching Tonight Show with your brother. He's your hero, and then you're on the show. You crush the you know, audience that likes it. He calls you over, and your life changes. Yes. You know, and, yeah. and I remember Letterman would say, we went out to L.A. because we knew to get on the Tonight Show. We yes. had to go at the comedy store. Go ahead. That's where I got very lucky because I, since Peter LaSalle came to... Boston, because someone wrote an article, a freelance writer wrote an article about the Ding Ho Comedy Club, right. weird Chinese restaurant comedy club, and somehow that got into the L.A. Times. I don't know why it was in the L.A. Mm. Times. Yeah. That's how Peter saw it. Right. So then when his kids were getting out of high school, they went on a summer trip to look at colleges in Boston and New York, and he remembered the article, remembered the the uh, club, and that's and why he, Yes, that's why he went to to that club but what, what I'm saying is I, I don't know at the time I did not have it in me to pick up and move to New York or move to, to Los Angeles right. I was a very you know not a very worldly tough person at all and you've so, grown up in this one sort of area Cambridge uh, you know uh, Burlington so and you went to school in college in that area all your friends are from there your family's from there in fact you still live in that area Yes, uh, I left for 25 years, but now I came back 15 right. years ago. So this yes. is comfort for you. This is this is not the big city. This is where you're the most comfortable. So it was, was very lucky that to be seen in Massachusetts, in Cambridge. It's just the psychological reasons of even moving to another city and mm -hmm. going into another comedy scene, into the comedy store and all that, and New York and all that. I didn't have to do that by act by this miracle that happened. Right. And, you know, that's how it happens. Uh, and then at the surreal thing happens, you're sitting next to Johnny Carson. And he says, so I don't know many comics in Boston. And meanwhile, there are a million of them. But, you, you, you know, how can you think? You go, they're all in my head. I remember you said something yes, like that. Yes, said, yes, they're, they're all in my all head. All in my it head. And long, they were. They were long, we they were, were all, you know, with you. I was in New York by then. Uh, and we all watched, of course, and, you know, it was like we were on with you, you know, and that's the way it was. Now, the, the thing that happened that never had happened ever before, less than a week later, they fly you back? Were you in LA no, I was or still, you were still there. there? I was still there. I went on Friday, and then they called me Wednesday to go on 
the next day, Thursday. Why did you stay there and not fly back home right away? Because I was out there with my girlfriend and just hanging around. There was no reason to come right back. Mm -hmm. We just might as well spend a week there. And when they first started talking about, yes, it's a tonight show, I thought they were reviewing. They wanted to talk to me about the one Friday that Mm -hmm. happened because they said it's a tonight show and going on the show, you know, in my mind is thinking, all right, but then they had to keep saying to me, no, 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 we want me to go on again. What do you mean you want me to go on again? <laughs> Why don't we go on again? I just, you, tomorrow. What do you mean go on tomorrow? Yeah. I, I, you know, I only had 20 minutes of good material. It took right. me three years. So that would have been half of my material. Because you have five, in minute one, like five minutes. Ten, twelve minutes of material. One week would have taken half my material. I right. remember saying, Jim McCauley, I remember saying to him, but yeah, that would be amazing, but that's half of my <laughs> act is gone in one week. It took me three years to write. <laughs> and he said, this is hilarious. It wasn't hilarious then, but he said, you're going to have to write more material anyway. So you might, right. you might as well, I mean, to go on twice in one week, you might as well do that. What was the second one like? Was that the one where the... It was interrupted. No, no, that was like three or four later. The second, the second one, second, yeah, yeah. The second one, I didn't sit down. It was the, right. I, the only one I didn't sit down. But three or four later, remember the guy had an artificial heart. Right. Was it Barney Frank? I think it was. So Barney you, Frank. let's go back to Mike McDonald, right. right? So I'm on there like the fourth or fifth time, and. Is this in the same year, the first year? No, because I went on in August. So this was probably in the uh, year and a half, like a, it's five or six months, seven or eight months later. Gotcha. I w- went on in uh, '83. I went on in '82 the first time, but during my set, they <laughs> interrupt my set. National news because <laughs> yeah. the guy with the artificial heart had died. Yes, Barney Frank. Yes. I'm not laughing that he died at all. No, it's um, hilarious, I, I, but you're not laughing. <laughs> no, that's not the point. What I I'm know, trying I'm to kidding. get to is that Mike McDonald, <laughs> when he talks to me, like a few days later, he said, I love that Bernie Frank thing you did. Because <laughs> it cut away right. and then came back. Right. And I'm still doing my act, thing. except there's like a minute in the middle gone. I know it, it was. I can't very believe surreal. you even remember that. Oh, I watched every everything you did. You know, it was, again, it was us. You know, we were all childhood friends, and when our friend did really well, we would watch, and we couldn't believe it at that moment in time that uh, that happened. Oh. So you get this exposure, and all of a sudden, everything's going crazy, and you have to write more material. So what happened next? I know, I know. I just know, sort of, I don't have a timeline, but I know you had the album, uh, you know, I Have a Pony, which was words you used in the first set on The Tonight Show, the Shetland Pony thing, right? Is yes. that correct? And then you had, like, I, uh, another one, and they were both nominated for Grammys. It's like, oh, my God, you won an Academy Award. Now you have two, gra- two Grammy nominations. You make another short film. When did you start doing film film when you did... I know you. I know you did television. You did like KRP in Cincinnati. No, didn't you? No. Didn't you do some kind no, of like a sitcom thing? People think I was on that, or? but I, I wasn't on that. I wasn't uh, after the Tonight Show. Then I was in desperately seeking Sue's. Oh yes. And then I was in a, like twenty-two movies. Uh, 
did a lot of a lot of voices. You did uh, the the uh, babe. You did uh, you did the DJ in Reservoir Dogs. Oh yeah, Reservoir Dogs. Yes, yes, and uh, it's just been uh, very lucky, you know, to 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 have a career from doing this stuff is so. There's so many levels of, l of luck that I see. Fortunate. I mean, I'm for I know I wrote write the stuff and everything. Oh, by the way, getting back to the Tonight Show, every mm -hmm. time I went on, I was out of material. Right. Every time. Yeah. And then I would get nervous. Oh my God, I know. But then it would come again. Like in the next over the next six months, more material would come. So then when I was out and I didn't have any more, then I wasn't nervous anymore because I knew it was probably going to come. It was like rain. It would rain a lot. It would mm -hmm. rain a little. It wouldn't rain, you know. But it's been, I still love doing it. I just did shows, shows last weekend. You tell me we're you're going so to lucky. Soon we're, and yeah, we get to do what we love for a living. We're so lucky. We're, we're like, there's, there's, a, there's a junior highness to it, I think, mm -hmm. as far as ju kidding. It's like a heightened kidding around, yeah. you know, and to be kidding to... to I'm lucky they like what I, how I think. They like how I talk. They like it. It fell together. Peter, lucky that Peter saw me. It was like, it was like a, a list of luck, you know. And I'm lucky yeah. that I make that I that I have this career. From, I, don't you love it? Don't you I, love I that love, you make stuff up? I love it. I love it. And some comics are bitter. I'm not. And I think some people who say ah, comedy, they still love it. They just need the the. You know, conflict in their own head. That, but it, when you're up there, and you're getting laughs, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. It's you. You've created it. I believe that you can formulaically, if that's a word, create cr uh, crying and sadness and drama. Uh, you know, like a movie like Patch Adams. You know, you can write that and edit it in a certain way where everyone's in tears. But to write comedy and to do it in the rhythm and the timing, it's you either have it or you don't. It's a very fortunate uh, thing. There's so many good comedians out there. You know, like we're sitting here, and on the wall was the, in this studio was albums, this historical comedy albums, and there's George Carlin, Class Clown, and we were, I memorized that one in high school. I would mm -hmm. come home, put the needle on, and memorize it. So when I was at Emerson, I had a communication class. I had to go up and talk in front of the class, and I did the... Uh, Part about the rules to the game show, you know. Right. Where some, you know, you only know the rules. Our champion, Mrs. Fussmucker, will get the first question. If she can answer the first question correctly, then our challenger, Mrs. Muck and Fuss, will spin the big prize wheel to determine the champion's prize. And that go, I, I told, I said it was Carlin, right? And I did the thing, and then uh, I'm aware some stare at my hair. Yeah, In some fact, really to be fair, some really just stare at my, my hair. hair. Uh, they're not aware, nor are they debonair. In fact, they're just square. <laughs> they see hair down to there, say beware, and go off on a tear. You know, my favorite Carlin joke is, um, uh, and I could do it word for word, but I'm not going to do the whole thing. It's like, Jane? Jane who? Jane? Jane, Jane. Jane? <laughs> we met at a party six to eight weeks ago, and you said I was a really good sport. Oh, Jane, how are you, Jane? I'm pregnant. I'm going to jump out the window. Say, you are a good sport. <laughs> yeah, I remember that one. And I did the same thing as you did. I, was, I would do it in, at Emerson in the voice and articulation class. I would memorize these uh, Carlin things. And I would, of course, the same way. Say, with my favorite uh, comedian, George Carlin. It's, uh, He's a genius. genius. When I when I did him in the 
class, I remember the guy who went uh, up for his public speaking thing after me read from the Bible, which I found very... That's not how that ironic, he, yeah, not, yeah, not that he was reading from the Bible was funny in itself, just no, the contrast. Just... But there's so many, I mean, Louis C.K.'s amazing, Jim Jeffries, yes. you said you're going to have... Uh, Hannibal Barris on. Yeah, he's, he's a genius. Incredible. I saw the, all, all those guys are unbelievable. There's so many comedians out there. It's you know, amazing. And I, I've gotten to follow young comedians for years and years, and people say, "Well, you know, it's not like the old days." It's like, no, there's still great ones coming up. Tommy Jonigan's this young comedian who is great. I saw uh, his name is slipping my mind. I'm sorry that it is. Uh, he has a sitcom, and he it's fantastic and. And uh, he's, uh, oh God! Anyway, he's great, and, uh, I, and love, I love, I love him. him. I love yeah, him. He, he, he's a African American comic who has this show, and everyone's going to say, "You idiot! It's this guy," and uh, he has a show on. Uh, it's like All in the Family, but nowadays. You, oh, you know what I'm talking about, Shelby? Uh, it's uh, anyway. He's one of my favorites, and uh, my son is a stand-up comedian. Oh, yeah, yeah, you tell me that. And I this think. guy, who I love, who I can't remember his name for whatever reason, um, saw him and said uh, that you're, you know, that I'd like to help him. And he got one of his directors to direct a special for my son. Oh, really? But I, you Great. Know, Your son did a special? Yeah, and it's they recorded and they just played it at a, a film festival, and it, it did very well. Uh, you know what's interesting? The, uh, and just, I'll... Does he live in L.A.? He lives in L.A. He moved to L.A. on his 21st birthday and uh, didn't want to tell me he was going to try to do comedy, but he loved that I was a comedian and wanted to do it. And uh, he went to Mitzi Shore, didn't say, you know, it's a long story about my son and I, but we have different last names. He had a stepfather, and uh, I didn't know I had a son until I, he was 12. So that's crazy. So he goes to the comedy store, and he gets in with Mitzi, and Mitzi treats him like family, and uh, it's, you know, and she did for him what she did for me. Wow. You know, it's just wow. so wonderful. You know, I owe her so much, and Letterman has his stories about her. But I want to tell this incredible story. Um, one of my favorite shows ever is, uh, you know, uh, SCTV. And I've met a lot of the people from SCTV over the years for different reasons, but Andrea Martin, mm. who was there, went to Emerson. I don't know if you remember oh, that. Oh, yes. So there was a thing at Emerson we had put together, you know, uh, trying to raise money for scholarships and stuff. And Andrew Martin was there, and we got really close. We hit it off right away. And we said, when we're back in New York, let's go have lunch. So her and I are sitting and having lunch outside on uh, St. Mark's Place. And I said, I got to know about John Candy. I want to know about uh, this comic and this person on the show and Eugene Levy and she's telling me, she says, I have questions for you. She says, what's Stephen Wright really like? I love him. And at that moment, you were walking by, <laughs> which is ridiculous. Manhattan. Because Manhattan. You, you, you live in Burlington, Massachusetts. <laughs> You're walking down the street in Manhattan where you don't live, where you, if you would have came 15 seconds earlier, it wouldn't have happened. At that moment, I go, why don't you ask him yourself? <laughs> it was like ridiculous. Wow. And, uh, and you sat with us and we... I remember that bumping into you guys. I didn't know that previous part of the conversation. Yeah, it was like, what? That's insane. That was crazy. Should have been Uma Thurman. Yeah, I, I'll arrange that. Should have been talking about Uma Thurman. Yeah. No, you guys. 
Oh, yeah. I don't know why Andrea Martin would hope Uma Thurman would walk by. But she didn't I, think she I, was I, funny. I, I, she I, said that Uma Thurman, beautiful, great actress, <laughs> you know, tall, Did you loving. just say that you don't think Andrea Martin thinks that Uma Thurman is that funny? Is that what you just said? <laughs> I, I might have. I didn't really pay attention. You ever, you ever, I, really I don't pay, pay attention, attention all the time to what I say. That's Does that happen you, to you where you say something? That's why you're always in court. Did I say that? Did I say Play that I, camera. You're office. officer. <laughs> officer. I, I work at the ice cream store. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? What does that even mean? Oh, you mean how could you have said that? Yeah. I don't, again, I'll, I'll say something and people laugh. I go, what did I say? <laughs> uh, Carmichael. No, is that his name? Gerard Carmichael. That's the guy I couldn't think of his name. He is so funny and such a great guy and great actor. And, and, uh, He's another young comic that I saw that's really incredible. Oh, I have to see him. I have never seen him. But, you know, there are a lot of people who don't get their due. You know, there's a girl named Karen Rontowski who makes me laugh every time. She's so silly and so funny, and she never really, you know, had gotten a break, and she's, you know, uh, added for you know, on the road and whatever. But I saw her, and I was like, oh, my God, this is one of the funniest people I've ever seen. Karen Rontowski. I'll have to look her up, Yeah, too. there's what so city, many names of she? comics. What's what that? What city is she based on? She was from Pittsfield, Massachusetts, originally, but she lives in L.A. There's so many great, funny comedians, and it just keeps getting better and better. And, you know, and, and the interesting thing is, is no matter what goes on, like... One thing about Emerson, to just go off a little bit, when before we went to Emerson, Jay Leno went there. Before we went there, Bill Dana went there. Norman Lear, Henry Winkler, Andrea Martin, all these people. Then we went there, and it was Mario Cantone and yourself and John Tenike and Dennis Leary and on and on and on. And then Lauren Dombrowski, who was genius. Brilliant. Went to, uh, she went out to, uh, she was the head writer over at Mad TV, and it was amazing. And, uh, and then... Uh, and then after that, it was like David Cross and Bill Burr and Bill Burr just Laura Keitlinger. And it's just, you know, it doesn't stop. Now you can go to Emerson and major in comedy. Yeah, when I was saying a while ago that you couldn't go to, to school to be a comedian, I, I know... I knew that they taught it that now they do, but but you, they, time, it's not teaching to be a comedian. I don't yeah, think you I, can teach. I know what you mean, but they didn't have classes of it when we were there. Yeah, right. Yeah. No, there weren't. There were but, funny teachers that were influential. Let me ask you this question, because I know we're kind of uh, getting toward the end. Is there something you haven't done that you've always wanted to do that you still want to get to in your life? Yeah, uh, I want to do more film stuff. I want to do... Write, like, direct, yeah, act, yeah, any yeah, of that more, stuff, more, all of more it? More film, more film things. But, but I mean, but, in film, do you want to write films or do you want to act? Right, in and I directed the short film uh, One Soldier. I'd like to do more of that, but I don't have any like like I'm a, I've never done a ninety minute full length movie. Mm -hmm. That's my only thing that I haven't done. But I still uh, very happy with what's happened. And like, I'm but you're helping a, produce stuff like Horace and Pete. And well, I wasn't. I was an actor in Horace and Pete, but I, Louis put me in there, which is amazing. He's a genius, genius. times five, and to work on his show, uh, Louis, for two seasons is incredible. I mean, because of his show, he got Emmy nominations. Mm. You know, he's he's amazing. He's I was on so happy second to... episode they ever did, and that show was up for an Emmy. 
the show I was on, I was like, oh my God, he, <laughs> but he's just so brilliant and he such is. a good person. He is so And so nice. caring for the community. He got me the job at Letterman. I worked at Letterman for a long time and he was the oh, one I who recommended know that. He had worked know. at the Dana Carvey show. Well, I knew him from Boston and working the, you know, when he was a young comic and I always thought he was a great guy and hilarious and, but he looks out for the welfare of comedians and that's, I think, the one thing we can give Back to comedians. He he, he did uh, Barry Crimmins special. Yes. He directed it, and, which was uh, hilarious. Yes, I'm, I might see Barry on Saturday in Boston at the comedy Boston Comedy, comedy Festival. Festival. Yeah, and, he's with Emo Phillips. Oh yeah, this he's weekend, who's another too. incredible comedian. Yes. And Louis, I'm in awe of Louis's mind, and he's a very kind person. Yeah, he's very. Yeah, kind. and Bill Burr. Oh, brilliant! Just yeah. brilliant! Yeah. Well, you know, I appreciate you coming by. Like I said, you know, when I do these interviews, I learn so much about friends so well, but it's not often that you would have these kind of conversations. I mean, we have silly conversations and we will make some points, but it's it's really fun to hear this stuff about. about yeah, you too, and hearing all your stuff too. Uh, you coming up and your early influences and interests. Thank, so thank you for having me. I see us as... Partial twins. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's I think that's what they called us. <laughs> that's the name of our film. <laughs> um, Thank you so you, much. I, you know, you're like my brother, my friend. We've known yeah. each other so long, and I'm. Um, thank you so much for coming. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you.